Welcome back again to the Convergence Podcast, or maybe for the first time. The Convergence is a space designed for university students, college students, and young adults to explore and deepen their faith. It's a space to think and question and doubt and hopefully, ultimately, to worship. We're so glad you're here. This message comes from our service on February 10th, 2022, and is by my dear friend, Bob Osborne. So I was actually supposed to speak here, but I got quite ill and asked Bob just a few days prior to the event if he would step in. I joined the service online and thought this was almost worth getting sick over. (laughs) After I listened to the message, I said to Marissa, my wife, I don't know how anyone couldn't be challenged by this message, but I also don't know how anyone could walk away offended. It was prophetic and pastoral. I I don't even know what to say about Bob. He's a legend in our city. He's helped start churches. He's walked churches through rough seasons. And now he continues to both speak at various places, but is also a spiritual director for many people and works as a spiritual director at the University of Calgary. To know Bob is to love him. And I know that you are going to love this message. What I want to talk to us about tonight are things hidden and things known. Okay. Things hidden and things known. G.K. Chesterton was a wonderful writer and wit in the early part of the 20th century, English writer. You might have heard of G.K. Chesterton, some of the great works of Christian literature from G.K. Chesterton. And he said, um, always in history, we understood that the things that were seen were caused by the things that were unseen. He said, that was always the understanding of human life. He said, if you saw a tree with its branches moving in the wind, you understood it was the unseen but felt wind, but unseen, that caused the branches to move. So what you were seeing happening was being caused by the unseen wind, right? He said, but it was getting to the point now, and he was noticing this in the early part of the 20th century, where we're starting to believe that the opposite is true. And it's a funny image, but he said, we're starting to believe that the wind is caused by the moving branches, that the, <laughs> the, scene was ca- the unseen was caused by the scene. So I want to talk to us tonight uh, about two parables from Jesus as we come to a conclusion tonight that express the importance and the centrality of the unseen things in the world of experience that we're encountering right now. Uh, I want to talk to us about how <laughs> uh, the human heart is the director of so much of what we're experiencing right now, the unseen parts of our own heart and how Jesus directs us to pay attention to the depths of our own souls and to the depths of every human soul, how he drives us there. So I want to talk tonight as a way of beginning about how we're confused about freedom because it's a large confusion right now and how we've been growing more aware of the power and Maybe we could say the reality of things that are hidden from us. We could call them secrets. Some people call them conspiracies. And we're starting to wake up. Hey, there are forces and powers that we didn't realize that are at play. We're being surveilled by Google. We're being tracked by our iPhones, whatever's going on, right? And and people are getting skittish about the secrets 
of the world. So two things here, freedom and how it's confusing us and the place of secrets or the hidden parts of the world. I think it's almost like we're starting to wake up to these realities, but we're not able to name them very well. But there's a way that Jesus will address this and help us with all of this. So freedom and then secrets. I think if you're a student in university, you're aware of some of these theories about whether or not we can actually talk about freedom as a real thing. So we might talk now in all kinds of theories about genetics and how they determine us, how we're maybe predetermined by evolutionary biology or psychology, how there are all kinds of forces, mechanical and systemic in the world that are actually uh, casting doubt on whether freedom is a real thing. And yet we feel it, don't we? We cling to our freedom and we want it <laughs> and we march for it and we desire it and we call for it. So we're really in a confused age. On the one sense, there's a lot of theory about whether or not freedom is real. And on the other sense, we're calling more desperately for freedom. We're living in a confused age on the question of freedom. One of the great books in 20th century literature that you probably should read at some point in your life is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And uh, it's truly an outstanding and astounding book. Uh, Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist and a Jewish man who was imprisoned because of his heritage, his ethnicity, in a Nazi war camp. And he wrote about it. And he wrote about, really, his observations of how he saw what was going on. He saw despair there. He saw how meaningless could be cultivated in people's lives. <laughs> take this pile of bricks over to that side of the camp, and then they would do it, and then take that pile of bricks back over to the where you took them from. So it was meaninglessness and despair. But he would also see this. He would see how courage and hope could break with the expectations of that place. In other words, that human persons were not totally conditioned by their circumstances that there was a gap between what happened to you and what happened in you. And that space he called the unique capacity of the human person to enter into freedom. That it wasn't simply what happened to you, but there was a freedom within you to choose a better way. So let me just read this. This is a rather long quote, but I'll read it for you. In attempting this psychological presentation, I may give the impression that the human being is completely and unavoid unavoidably influenced by his surroundings. But, uh, but what about human liberty? Is there no spiritual freedom in regard to behavior and reaction to any given surroundings? The experiences of camp life show that man does have a choice of action, does have a choice of action. There were enough examples often of a heroic nature which proved that apathy could be overcome, irritability suppressed. Man can preserve a vestige of spiritual freedom, of independence of mind, even in such terrible conditions. We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that Everything can be taken from a man or a person, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. Even though conditions such as lack of sleep, insufficient food, and various mental stresses 
may suggest that the inmates were bound to react in certain ways. In the final analysis, it becomes clear that the sort of person the prisoner became was the result of an inner decision. Interesting. And not the result of camp influences alone. The kind of person the prisoner became was the result of an inner decision and not the result of the external forces of the camp. He was lobbying that there was such a thing as human freedom, that there's a difference between what happens to you and what happens in you. And so this is my really big point today. Think of it as the basic insight that Jesus was making a long time ago that keeps getting played out over and over again in human history that some of us discover and others of us miss. We may say, I'm just the product of market forces or what's going on right now or a pandemic or genetics or whatever. But actually the scripture and Jesus and even Viktor Frankl is noticing it here. There's a gap between what happens to you and what happens in you that makes all the difference. So think of that old observation when someone says, you make me mad. No, nothing actually makes me mad, right? No one makes me mad. Mad is my reaction to what is happening to me, right? Mad is a, a revelation of my nature, okay? Maybe it's entirely appropriate to be mad, okay? Maybe there are things in this world that we should be mad about. Uh, there are injustices and sufferings. Maybe there are things that should move our emotions and we should get fired up about and maybe do something good for the world. And we have various level or degrees of emotion about these things. But maybe sometimes it's entirely appropriate to be mad, but that's not something necessarily that happens to us. That's a reaction from within us to the state of the world. When Abraham Lincoln was just a young man, there's a famous story told about him where he's in New Orleans. He's still in his 20s, I think. So this is something like 30 years before he becomes president. And you know the story of Abraham Lincoln, how he's instrumental in releasing and helping America to release itself from the evil scourge of slavery uh, in its cruelest form, really, in human history, one of its cruelest forms. And Abraham Lincoln saw a, a young woman being traded and then treated horribly. And he said, if I ever get the chance to hit that thing, I'm going to hit it and hit it hard. And what he was saying is hit the institution of the evil, right? But think about what he did then. What he did was, <laughs> was through moral argument and an appeal to conscience, right? Abraham Lincoln, in some sense, was mad. But the second thing is, <laughs> how should I be mad? <laughs> What form should mad take, right? This too is part of our freedom. What should mad look like? You know, the Bible counsels us to be angry and sin not, which is an interesting point, isn't it? How can anger look appropriate to the Christian soul? And maybe we could even go a little bit further. Did Jesus ever get mad? And maybe we'd say, well, I wouldn't use the word mad. Well, I think sometimes I think we should use the word mad. He looked around one time at his opponents deeply troubled and disturbed in his heart when they said he shouldn't be healing on a Sabbath day. Um, I think when he went to the tomb of his friend Lazarus, 
it said that he cried with such guttural, such a guttural cry. The word in action in Greek is snorted. There was such a deep, have you ever cried deeply like that where kind of a snort comes out of you? <laughs> it's an ugly cry. It's so guttural, right? In some sense, we could say Jesus got mad at things. Never so much in a violent or vengeful way, but he got mad at what was wrong. But the question was, how was Jesus mad? How did he get mad? What did mad look like for him? You know, mad can look like a crazy unhinged, unhinged loss of control like road rage, which in that person's case is revealing their moral center doesn't exist really. It's just about a selfish reaction to their inconvenience or something. Right? So that's mad out of control. But what would mad look like in a more purposed and focused way? Maybe it looks more, something more like Martin Luther King, who got really angry at systemic racism and injustice, but purposely moved through the world in a focused and directed way. There is a way to be mad in the world. What I'm talking about is freedom here. Understand, they get the big point. The freedom here, not simply how we react, we're not just merely reactionaries. We have a moral center out of which we can evaluate and then move in the world in a purposed way. And then we can also judge how we will move through the world. Um, how did Jesus do mad? That's the question. So there's this amazing scene or a couple of scenes in Lord of the Rings, the movie edition. You guys have all seen this stuff. I read the books three times and then watched the movies. I don't know how many times, but you know, when he's fighting the, the evil Balrog at the bridge of Khazad-dum and then do you remember the scene? You all, you all been there. Anybody not been there? You all know where I'm talking about. And so you shall not pass, right? Great scene. Uh, Gandalf is one of the Christ figures in Lord of the Rings, by the way. And, and then he turns and then the, you know, he gets caught by the heel, which is an interesting biblical uh, connection. And he's pulled down. At the beginning of the second movie, you see Gandalf and the evil being falling into the heart of the earth. And Gandalf's got his sword out and he's going straight down into the heart of darkness, screaming with a sword into the heart <laughs> to pierce the evil. <laughs> it's in a powerful image, I think, of Christ. Uh, and I've often thought of, of, uh, of, the, of the cross as God's sword. If you can think of it as God's sword planted in the earth. How does God do mad? How does Jesus do mad? Not in vengeance, not in violence, but in suffering. There is a freedom in ourselves to see what's wrong with the world to determine how we will move towards what's wrong in the world and in the Jesus way. And we have freedom to do this in the proper way. We're not merely reactionaries. I hope you're hearing the big point because it's really important. My second point is I want to talk about is that idea that there's this sudden awareness in our culture of secrets and things we didn't know. And all of a sudden we're discovering things. And we sometimes call these things conspiracies. And people are becoming aware of this. And they're saying, things are going on and the mainstream media is not reporting it. <laughs> and meanwhile, they're looking at some wonky internet site. <laughs> so 
If there is a secret, and this is what I think Jesus would say, because we're going to get to our parables in just a minute now. If there is a secret about what's wrong in the world, and Jesus didn't deny conspiracies, remember that Jesus himself was done in by a conspiracy. But he really didn't talk about that. If there is something wrong that's hidden in the world, it's the human heart. And he didn't deny there weren't political or social or systemic issues in the world. But what he always talked about, what what was going on in the depths of the human heart. This was his preaching. This is is the Sermon on the Mount, right? He keeps hammering home the idea. It's what's in your heart. You've heard it said, do not commit murder. But I say to you, don't even hate, right? It's not simply the action. It's the source of the action, right? This is what Jesus is talking about. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say, don't even lust. You've heard it said, love your neighbor. Here's the depth of the issue now. But I say, love your enemies as well. My goodness, Jesus is driving right to the depths of the secrets of the heart. It's amazing. He's showing us that the things we see are sourced in the things we don't see, even in our own beings. The things... See, this is why I became a spiritual director. And by the way, you can make an appointment with me on Mondays. I'll just throw that in there. But what I realized was I couldn't know myself by myself. I had to talk to somebody and and find out and, and, and reflect and pray, what's going on inside of me? And so I've had a director for 12 years and I became a director and I talked to people, what's going on in you? Are you noticing are you paying attention? What's going on? The de- you know, it's like this great big cavern of my soul. What's going on down there? I don't know. I need Jesus to, to help me see the depths of my own soul. And it's not all external. It starts, Jesus saying, it starts in the inside. If you want to know what's going on in our culture right now, it's a reflection of, of our insides becoming open. <laughs> That's what's going on. So there's these two parables then, and we heard them read. The first one is a good tree can't produce good, bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart, from the depths of your being. Wow. And then Jesus said, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse in a heap of ruins. It's very vivid imagery. But what he's doing is he's taking the wrappers off of the human condition and telling us that what we are, what we are and how we will live is sourced in the hidden parts of ourselves. As a fruit tree reveals itself in its fruit, right? We walk up to the tree. What kind of tree is this? Oh, There's an apple. I guess it's an apple tree. Agriculture 101, right? Okay. As that's true. And also, uh, every building needs a foundation. These are hidden things that are all important. 
So let's just think about them. Jesus is talking about the hidden things that are all important and eventually will be found out. The hiddenness of the heart, Jesus says, and here's how he makes the application, is revealed in our words. And the hiddenness of what one ultimately depends on, our foundation, is revealed when the storms come. So he's talking about hidden things. So my question is, why are we so naive about all this? One of my favorite um, historians is named Paul Johnson. He's a British historian and he's written a lot. And I just find him really helpful in my reading of history. He's written a book called Intellectuals, where he examines 12 famous intellectuals. And I don't know if there's any philosophy students here. There's one. Any other social science students, sociology, anything like that? Education? No. Are we all science people? Is that all what we are nowadays? Yeah. Anybody else in the humanities at all? Yeah. Okay, a few. Well, there's a few of us around. Humanities departments are shrinking, right? That's what's happening. But what Paul Johnson does is to show these people who influenced public thought. Okay, and I'll give you two names, Karl Marx and Jean-Jacques Rousseau. He talks about 12 very famous intellectuals. But what he shows is their thought that became so important to defining policy and the way we live was not purely rational deduction from first principles all the way down, but it was more a projection of their own souls. It's kind of interesting. So Karl Marx, writing Das Kapital in the British Library, uh, which is all about, you know, Marx and an economic system of redistribution and everything else. Karl Marx was an angry, (laughs) undisciplined man who couldn't handle money. And he was always in debt. And here he's raging against the system. Interesting. Don't you think that's, isn't that an interesting fact? If there's a man who's undisciplined and mad at authorities, mad at his own Jewish heritage, he was just an angry man. He was mad, but he didn't know how to be mad, right? In a constructive way. And now he's writing a philosophy about how everything should be changed. I think it matters, the state of Marx's heart. I think it matters. And then Jean-Jacques Rousseau, he was an absolute sexual libertine. And he fathered dozens of children. And he, instead of caring for them, he would take them and drop them off at the orphanage. And they can look after them. And he's the one who wrote social policy on that the state should raise and educate our children, which may be a good idea, but don't you think it matters that that kind of early thought came from Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who didn't want to take care of any of his dozens of children? I think that's an interesting fact. And Jesus would say, all of this stuff that you see outwardly flows from the human heart. That's where it's sourced. So let me briefly comment then in conclusion on these two parables. The first one is the parable about the tree and its fruit. And Jesus is saying something so obvious, right? It's so obvious. You don't get figs from a, you know, a what? What did he say? A thorn bush, right? You get apples from apple trees, oranges from orange trees. It's agricultural 101 again, but we don't make the connection 
in the people world. That's the thing. We have a hard time to see what Jesus is pointing out. And that's why he has to illustrate it this way. And did you notice where he goes with this? He says, really the revelation of the soul is found in our words because what a person says flows from their hearts. I use this illustration all the time. You're walking across the room with your cup filled with whatever liquid you choose to drink. And you're walking across the room and you get bumped as you will in a crowded room. And as you will in life, you will get bumped. (laughs) And whatever's in your cup will come out. Okay, we know this is true about coffee, but we don't often know this about our own human souls. Uh, I remember reading a little book called Your Reactions Are Showing, which is a very wise book, (laughs) saying it was in your reactionary moments that your sort of essential self was showing. And ever since I read that, I would realize myself, you know, when I had reactive moments, oh my goodness, that was in me? Yeah, it was in me. I guess that reaction showed what was in me, you know? And when we quickly say, I didn't mean it, what we actually should be saying is, I'm ashamed (laughs) that I meant that. (laughs) Apparently I did mean it and I'm ashamed at myself because I just found out who I am (laughs) in that reaction. You're walking across the room, you get bumped. Whatever's in you spills out, right? Our words reveal us. You, you can just think about Jesus when he's getting crushed. What comes out of Jesus? Forgiveness. It's amazing, right? What is deep within him flows out in his words of truth or silence or forgiveness or trust in God. So what is spilling out of souls in our time of disruption and frustration? What's coming out of us right now? What's coming out of you? If you listen to people around you, what are you hearing? What are people saying? They're revealing themselves. People are showing who they are. What are you hearing? Martin Buber, a famous philosopher whom I very much appreciate, uh, talked about giving a lecture and a student came to ask him a question at the end of the lecture and Buber was kind of frazzled and tired and He gave a perfunctory answer to the question. And then later on, he heard and found out that the student had gone and committed his own suicide. And Buber, reflecting on that moment, said, my sin or my failure or my weakness was not that I didn't hear the student. I didn't hear what they were really saying. I didn't hear their heart. I didn't hear their soul. I didn't hear what they were meaning. What can we hear as we listen to the words in our time. What are we hearing? Listen to people. Listen to yourself. Sometimes I listen to myself. (laughs) And I say, oh my goodness, there's something going on in you, Bob. You know, it's leaking out all over the place. You're disappointed or you're hurt or you're sad or you're frustrated or something, or you're hopeful or you're full of faith. It's leaking out, right? Comes out in our words. Jesus is telling us to pay attention to this. This is our mission, (laughs) to listen, to listen to the depths of human hearts and perhaps respond then in appropriate ways. And guess what? This is the secret of prayer. Not that we inform God of what he doesn't know, but that we just simply open a space 
for the Holy Spirit to come into the recesses of our unknown life and say, God, there's things in me I don't even understand about myself. Come and invade and be with me. May your kingdom come. We prayed it tonight in our song. Devin, you led us in it. Your kingdom come, your will be done. May you do something in me. May you change me. I don't understand myself, except I hear my words. <laughs> so this is where we're to be more aware of what? The hidden things. The hidden things of our own hearts and the hidden things of the hearts around us. And then the other piece, the second parable. That solid buildings require good foundations. And this is an obvious statement number two. At least with bricks and mortar, it's obvious. It's not always obvious to us in people world, right? But it should be. And according to Jesus, he's saying it's the hidden foundation of the soul that's key both to our actions and our endurance. Isn't that what he's saying? And our significance, really. The hidden foundations of the soul. And I think this is what's being tested right now in our time. The foundations of our souls. We live in an age when every conceivable foundation is being challenged. And I'm just about done. Every conceivable foundation is being tested, questioned. It's very interesting. We, we did a talk last year uh, here at Convergence on deconstruction. Were you, some of you a part of that? Deconstruction. De deconstruction actually began as a literary theory, but it seemed to move into everything now. Deconstruction is just, just what it sounds like, taking things apart, right? Um, but it's kind of interesting when you start to think about deconstruction. I, I read about Ohio State University's Performing Arts Center. It's called the Wexner Center. And it was apparently one of the first deconstructed buildings. How would you build a deconstructed building? <laughs> kind of strange. Um, and what they were trying to do is challenge all our presuppositions about buildings. So they built angled surfaces that sort of disorient you. They built pillars that didn't do anything sort of out in the middle of nowhere. That's kind of a nuisance, right? And stairways that didn't go anywhere. This sounds like a lot of frustration, no practicality at all. You'd have to learn, oh, that staircase doesn't do anything. Um, so they were trying to sort of say something philosophically that life was incoherent and didn't really make sense. And this is what a lot of people are saying. But here's the question I would like to ask them. Did they actually deconstruct the foundation? Did they not have the proper concrete strength or the proper specifications for whatever has to go underneath the building? Apparently not, because nobody would go in that building otherwise. So you can only take your deconstruction so far. At some point you have to land and Jesus said, you're gonna have to dig down and find the rock, students. Dig down, this is the time to dig down. This is the call and the opportunity to dig down and find the rock. And Jesus said, if you will do that and just follow my words, you'll be like one of those people that stands in the storm. Is there ever a better word to say than right now? Find your foundation. You know, things are being shaken and how are you doing? Find your solid rock. So I've spoken tonight in some strange and roundabout way about mission, the way what Phil was going to talk about, but I did it in my own way. And the reason I say it's about mission is because this is your mission. The, your mission is not only outward to the world, but inward to allow God to 
do something inside of you that's deep because out of the depths of who we are then come acts of kindness, the words that heal, (laughs) missions of mercy. They flow from the inside, Jesus would say. So the inner life and the outer life are one. They are a unity. Do you know that word integer is one, right? Which is the root word of integrity, right? You become one. You're not split. Who you are inside and who you are outside comes together. I love this little story from Martin Buber, again, one of my favorite writers and thinkers who talked about Rabbi Zazia. He said the rabbis used to talk about Rabbi Zazia, an 18th century Hasidic rabbi. And he said before his death, he said to his students in the world to come, I shall not be asked, why were you not Moses? (laughs) I shall be asked, why were you not Zazia? to be yourself and to allow the invasion of God into the heart of you. And out of the heart of you comes your service to the world, your unique footprint and fingerprint to the world because you are reclaimed territory for the kingdom of God. So let's pray. In this holy moment, let's pray. So almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and no secret is hidden. What we ask for tonight is to be made whole, inside and outside. We want to do things for you. So many of us in this room want to do things for you. But if we're truthful, we know that there's parts inside of us that are still in need of healing. It's true for every one of us. And so we just invite you on the inside of us so that you would fill us with your love and your grace so that our mission and words and actions will reveal something that is authentically real and true. Heal the separation between our inner and outer life so that we are people of integrity. We pray in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. All right, y'all. You need to uh, join us on February 24th because we're going to unpack this message. I'll sit with Bob. But what we do, and this is called Convergent Conversations, is I'll ask a few questions to get things going But then we want you, whether you're in person or maybe you are online, we'll take questions from either. We just want to discuss the things that Bob talked about and maybe some of the ways that they stirred things up in you. So 7 p.m. on February 24th at Brentview Baptist Church. That's right next to the University of Calgary. Or you can check us out online at Zoom. The registration will be in the show notes. Until next time, grace and peace. Thank you.